Welcome to Epidemiology Now. My name is Eun-Yang Lee. Epidemiology Now is a podcast prepared for students in Health 323 Introduction to Epidemiology at Queen's University. All right. Hello, everyone. Um, today, the topic that we're going to discuss is knowledge translation. And today, we have a knowledge translation speaker uh, specialist. Um, mm -hmm. So Dr. Angela Fong is an instructor of medicine in the section of behavioral sciences at Luggers Cancer Institute of New Jersey, with a primary academic appointment in the Department of Medicine, Division of Medical Oncology at Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what an <laughs> affiliation. Too many affiliations. Um, yeah. And yes, my business card is insane no I'm kidding it's it's uh yeah it's, is it is it in a4 it, it's it's a piece of paper that I have to hand to people and highlight the no I'm kidding <laughs> yeah but yeah. yeah anyway welcome to the show and welcome to our class and I'm really happy to have you Dr. Fong so um yeah do you want to introduce yourself to our students as well yeah I will thank you so uh, Dr. Lee Young, thank you very much for uh, having me here. I'm so excited to actually talk about knowledge translation um, and kind of everything that goes into it just because A, it's kind of a, a hot topic right now, um, but B, it's also, I think, a very misunderstood topic. Um, so I'm excited to clarify for everybody uh, a little bit about myself. So despite my affiliations being in the U.S., I am I'm a Canadian uh, lady. <laughs> uh, I actually did my postdoc at Queen's, so you know, really excited to kind of be back in some ways. Um, my training is all in kinesiology, so again, don't let my current affiliations uh, fool you. I'm I'm not this kind of med school type of individuals. I'm very much a kinesiology person. Um, all of my work is focused in exercise psychology, so I've been really um, interested in that realm and focused. I've been actually, again, very lucky to focus on cancer prevention and cancer survivorship uh, since my master's. So that's kind of why I'm at the Cancer Institute. It's because I'm this very, um, I have this kind of almost unique training in the world of kinesiology and cancer. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that's very interesting. And throughout the interviews uh, with other people, that's what I find that, you know, people have really different and diverse background. It's not like they just took one path and they just followed it. They were like all over the place and they okay. end up somewhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that's really common in academia and it's yeah. really good to know. Um, yeah, and it's really nice to have you back because when I first uh, got hired here at Queen's, you know, you're one of the first pe people that I saw and we hung out for about a year and you left so that was very <laughs> sad um yeah but yeah it's really great to talk to you today mm -hmm. so um you've talked about your research background and your interest but can you tell mm -hmm. us a bit more about what you're interested in 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 exercise oncology what kind of research are you doing currently yeah um so I guess what I'll do is I'll broadly define exercise psychology for how it really applies to my work. Um, so exercise psychology has a lot of different facets. There's prehabilitation, so essentially from the moment of diagnosis, getting someone to exercise before their treatments. And then there's, broadly speaking, survivorship. Um, mm. The National Cancer Institute defines survivors as anyone from the time of diagnosis until the end of life. Um, the reason for that is because 
you know, you really want to have research that applies really broadly. Um, and that really lends itself all to, to KT. So my work is really in the survivorship realm, but I focus on an even narrower kind of um, sliver of that pie. It's uh, from the time of treatment completion. So once, you know, they're done with their chemotherapy or radiation or surgery or whatever it ends up being, um, you know, once that's all finished, then that's kind of where my work intervenes. Um, and the reason why I'm interested in that world is because all of, and I know everyone knows this, but like technology is getting better. Medicine is getting so much better. So instead of cancer being this kind of death sentence, it's actually, you know, obviously still very difficult, very detrimental, um, but there is a, a higher chance of surviving and of living um, beyond the diagnosis. So because of that, we actually have this large population for the most part um, who are living with what we call like debilitating effects from the cancer treatment. Um, I know I won't get into too many specifics, but you know, people think chemotherapy and they're like, oh, you lose your hair and you feel sick is kind of the, I guess like Hollywood way of thinking of it. But there's actually things like for breast cancer survivors, five to 10 years down the road, they experience incredible fatigue. And it's not like fatigue of, oh, I'm tired. Let me take a nap. I'll feel better. Or I'm tired. Let me do a quick yoga session. And oh, I feel rejuvenated. It's like really difficult. Like um, you, you sleep more, you feel worse. Uh, you're not eating as well. And so for individuals like that, um, intervening with like a healthy lifestyle interventions, like improved uh, physical activity can actually help with those types of effects. Um, so that's kind of the reason why I focus on that area. And then um, what I do specifically is I focus on physical activity behavior, again, drawing from my kinesiology background, because uh, physical, act physical inactivity, so not meeting those guidelines, can lead to cancer. But also in cancer survivorship, we see that a lot of times physical activity levels don't even go back to where they were before the diagnosis. So if you're already low to begin with, you go even lower coming out of the mm. treatment. Um, so that's kind of where all my work goes there. And then to draw in the kinesiology or the uh, KT portion, so, or knowledge translation portion. Um, the reason why I, I bring that into my work is because as wonderful as all the sciences that we're doing, um, you know, everywhere in Canada and the US, it's really not accessible to a lot of individuals. So um, I'm sure your students are aware of this, but you'll read research papers and they'll always have this line of, you know, not generalizable to the broader population, or there'll be something with the data set. I know that um, we have this huge epidemiological data set that's specific for cancer survivors in the US called the SEER data set. And even that data set has issues. There's not a lot of, um, Black or African Americans or individuals who are Hispanic or Latinx. And so it's actually still not representative of the greater population. And so they'll say like, you know, more work is needed. And so where KT kind of fits in in that area is actually finding where more work is needed and also figuring out why it is that maybe individuals aren't signing up for the studies. Is it mm. the research question? Is it the way it's presented? Um, and then also taking those findings and making them useful. Um, I always tell people, you know, information is kind of the lowest form of behavior change. So, you know, uh, Young, if I hand you a paper that says, you know, physical activity leads to all these benefits, you'll read it and be like, that's really interesting. But that doesn't mean you're hopping on a treadmill or you're going out, you know, 
cross-country skiing right after mm-hmm. you read the paper, right? It's, mm-hmm. That's not enough to make that connection. Um, but if we take that same information and we change it into, let's say, a knowledge product, so it could be like an infographic, um, a mass media message, a really good TikTok video, or like has to be really, really good. Um, and we kind of disseminate it that way, that can actually be a better way to increase or get our message across. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like incorporating that science into translating from the dense product of a paper into something more bite-sized and manageable. Right. So I think you've covered a lot of important um, <laughs> topics already. <laughs> but That's it. We're done uh, now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's all good. But yeah, when we talk about knowledge translation, so you've covered, you've um, touched on, you know, accessibility and, and, you know, producing knowledge or turning scientific knowledge into something digestible and more abitable mm-hmm. um, or more palatable. Um, and also that uh, in, that informs our, you know, sample recruitment and data collection process as well. So um, you know, in essence, how would you define knowledge translation? Great question. Um, so I'm actually going to do the whole, you know, it's, it's not kosher, but I'm going to first read you the CIHR definition of uh, oh, okay. knowledge translation. Yeah. And then I'll kind of break it down from there. So it, off of their website, it says a dynamic and iterative uh, process that includes synthesis, dissemination, exchange, and ethical ethically uh, sound application of knowledge to improve the health of Canadians, provide more effective health services and products and strengthen the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. So that is a lovely definition. Um, But my my, uh, criticism of it is that it's very broad and doesn't really get at the essence of what KT is. So Mm -hmm. they do hit it on the head. It is a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, But Broadly, big umbrella kind of uh, speaking, KT is essentially the systematic approach to take scientific information mm-hmm. and then turn it into something that's either additional knowledge or disseminated to the knowledge user. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an iterative process and it involves a lot of individuals. So mm-hmm. kind of let me, I'll give you an example. Um, for instance, a systematic review Mm-hmm. is actually considered part of KT because what you're doing is you're actually taking all of the literature that's out there and systematically going through it and saying, okay, here are these studies that actually meet a certain criteria. Um, and here's like the level of bias. And of these studies, this is what we broadly found. So we can say that this type of intervention can be beneficial for this pop- for a target population. So that's one form. That's what we call like, uh, again, like knowledge synthesis, knowledge creation. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, a broad sort of framework that a lot of um, KT scientists in Canada especially use. It's called the knowledge to action framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that framework, they kind of have like a funnel where you break down the knowledge. And then mm-hmm. at the bottom of the funnel, that information gets turned into something that's useful. Mm-hmm. So in KT, that's where the real kind of magic happens is like, you synthesize the information, we have the systematic review. Now let's figure out what our course of action is. And mm-hmm. that's where KT um, fits in with the science. So you do things like you work with the end knowledge user. So for us, that means 
the population that you're trying to impact. It could be the general population. So trying to get more Canadians active. It could be a very specific population, for instance, getting more cancer survivors active. Um, but again, and you know this as well as I do, these populations are diverse on so many different levels. Um, a cancer survivor that lives in Kingston is very different from a cancer survivor that lives in Thunder Bay. Um, I would know this, I've been to both of those cancer centers and their needs are just so incredibly different. Um, uh, in Kingston, you're very lucky because the Lynn there has a lot of programming that's very cancer specific, um, things even like dragon boat teams in the summer that um, survivors can join. Whereas in Thunder Bay, the issue is, um, you know, there's a lot of distance between the towns and just because you're treated at the cancer center in Thunder Bay, doesn't mean you live in Thunder Bay, you actually may live three, four hours outside of Thunder Bay. Mm -hmm. So for me to find um, a physical activity program that's useful for that cancer survivor is very different. Mm -hmm. uh, so essentially you're taking that knowledge and you're adapting it based on set criteria and you're including, again, the knowledge user and then individuals that we call key stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So this could mean anyone in terms of researchers, um, community-based partners, so the individuals who are running um, the programs, patient advocates, healthcare providers, administrators are really important. And the ultimate goal and similar to epidemiology is to mm -hmm. one day impact policy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's I think always our goal with, um, with the research that we do. And so that is a both broad and <laughs> compact version of PT. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, very interesting. So you provide a criticism on the CIHR definition of knowledge translation that it's, it's uh, too broad. It's touching on everything that are important, mm -hmm. but not really getting into what really KP is and why it is important. And based on your um, discussion, it feels like, you know, we have this um, hierarchy of evidence and mm -hmm. at the top we have systematic review and, you know, we have, you know, lower quality study designs in epidemiology. And it sounds like knowledge translation just you know, it's it's above everything, like after conducting systemic reviews and synthesizing all the available evidence, then we are producing this knowledge that are that is really easy to understand and, and you know, create it for users, basically, not, you know, the creator ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in a way. So um, KT is actually really interesting because you can actually apply it at all different points of research. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times people, when they think KT, they think what they call like end of grant KT. So a lot of times when you're putting together a project, you'll be like, oh my goodness, I have to disseminate this. Um, let me present at this conference and I'll write a paper. And, you know, if you're lucky, I'll create a summary for my participants, mm -hmm. um, like a one pager. And so a lot, and that is generally okay, good practice for KT. That counts. That is disseminating your final message and that's good. But to extend it, you know, you can um, bring on participants earlier in the research process. So that's what we call an integrated knowledge translation approach mm -hmm. or an mm -hmm. IKT approach. Mm -hmm. um, so actually I think the, um, the exhibit that um, I'll talk about uses that approach, but that's bringing in the knowledge user at the very beginning. So they mm -hmm. actually have a really active role 
in helping develop the research project, but also helping develop even the research questions. Mm. So we as scientists, you know, we always are like, this is the big question that I need to answer. And it's going to do all these amazing things. It's going to have such an impact. And it very well could because, you know, you are the expert in your field and know the, the field very well. But unfortunately, it may not have the same impact that we think for the knowledge user. So bringing them in earlier mm-hmm. and saying like, here's what I'm thinking of doing. What are your thoughts? What would help you? Or what would you have wanted mm-hmm. when you were in you know, the situation um, is actually really interesting and also really telling and can help refine your research question and narrow it down a little bit. And then that way, when you develop the research project, you actually have a higher chance of getting to an endpoint that makes sense for the knowledge end user. Mm-hmm. And that will actually help when you decide to develop a project or develop a product at some point that isn't a paper or a poster or a presentation. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I'm not um, an expert in knowledge translation. And of course, like the most KT work that I do is, you know, conference presentation and publication because that's what's required for <laughs> end of grant <laughs> KT yeah. activities. Mm-hmm. Right. So. It's really common, but you know, there's a you know strong emphasis more and more that we need to produce knowledge that that's more more for knowledge end users, not you know researchers and researchers gather around in, at a conference and sharing their mm-hmm. knowledge. That's not you know that doesn't do the work, right? So right. yeah, really important point. So um, you know what type of so you mentioned that we can create infographic and you know we can do webinars. Uh, what kind mm-hmm. of examples do we have uh, for knowledge translation that's beyond uh, publication and conference mm-hmm. presentation? Oh, so many things. So um, we'll start off with something that's a little more technical. So uh, like guidelines are an example mm-hmm. of a knowledge um, product. And so let's think of the physical activity guidelines broadly. Um, w- if I think of the version from, let's say five years ago, cause I know that there are newer ones, you know, we were told 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity. And that was great. And then what they realized was that not enough people are meeting this threshold because the definitions are too broad. I know for a kinesiology group, we know what that means. Um, a lot of the times, you know, the students are, are very active, current or former athletes, like, you know, we're kind of, um, preaching to the converted at this point but for a general population person I always think of you know like my grandmother or my parents 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous a sounds like a lot of activity Mm -hmm. Um, and then moderate to vigorous you know what does that mean Uh, for me running is is quite vigorous but to a long distance runner a run is kind of moderate, you know? So Mm -hmm. how do we define this intensity? So they gave, you know, more in an updated version, they gave um, more nuanced definitions. And then I'm just gonna fast forward to what was it earlier this year or possibly end of last year. Now we have the 24 hour movement guidelines, Mm -hmm. um, which I know Dr. Uh, Thomas Sony and uh, uh, Dr. Ross, like, uh, and Dr. Latimer, I believe, um, Mm -hmm. all had a hand in, in developing. So that actually is a, another example of knowledge translation in um, in action, so to speak, because they developed this knowledge product that was 
very dynamic. There's a lot of information, but they were able to distill, distill it into like move, you know, to every parts of your day. So something like a slogan like that is actually a form of knowledge translation. It's not the most detailed, that's okay, but it's enough to get someone like, oh, what do you mean every move counts every minute or whatever yeah. the slogan is? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's like the image of like a clock. And so that kind of is relaying that information. The broader guideline breaks everything down into your different domains, mm-hmm. incorporates things that are equally important as like reducing sedentary time, making sure you're getting enough sleep. Um, and so that kind of itself is an, uh, an example of um, a product. Uh, another example is, so, um, you know, we're just coming off of uh, the Super Bowl and everything. And I don't know if this aired in uh, Canada, but in the pre-show, there was a commercial about the vaccines. Mm. So trying to get more Americans to um, uh, to become, to get the, the COVID-19 vaccine, uh, because in the US, there is a lot of vac- vaccine hesitancy. So they had this really kind of cinematic, very dramatic um, commercial, as I think is very uh, common here in the US. And essentially was saying that, you know, the vaccine is there to protect yourself, it's there to protect your neighbors, um, get vaccinated, you know, check with your local um, uh, health units and things like that. And so I thought that was a good broad message. And again, an example of knowledge translation, they're taking the evidence that we currently have. Um, So, you know, we see that we have efficacy, we have initial preliminary efficacy for the vaccine that it's safe and effective, um, at least in prevention. We understand now that there are a number of individuals who are not getting vaccinated due to various reasons, whether they be social determinants um, or logistical issues from uh, their state or their county. And you know, the end was, the end question really is, how do we get more people vaccinated? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Putting out publications can be helpful. Not everyone has access to New Journal, New England Journal of Medicine. You know, not everyone's <laughs> reading that. I, I don't know why it's so riveting. Um, but you know, the average person is not going to read that publication. So distilling it down to this thirty-second snippet and the prime messages of protect yourself. It's true, the vaccine does do that. Protect others. So we're trying to get to that. You know, we had mentioned um, in a previous discussion herd immunity. We're trying to get everyone, as many people as possible, to um, vaccinated so we can control this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then the, the course of action was to check with my local health unit to figure out how to do it. Right. So all of that kind of disseminates from the knowledge that we have. So again, effective vaccines, yes. Hesitancy, yes. And then what do I have to do? And that's yeah. that's all. And if we think about the number of papers, even with such a dynamic um, situation as the pandemic, it's that's a lot to disseminate into three messages. It's, Mm -hmm. it takes, you know, it takes the KT experts to get there. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like, like you mentioned previously, it sounds like, you know, it's, it requires a lot of collaborative work from Mm -hmm. different sectors. Like it it requires researchers to get involved, um, you know, like policymakers, government officials and stakeholders, patients, and, and, you know, administration staff as well. Like, so mm-hmm. it, it's actually a lot of work. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Um, it's highly collaborative. Mm-hmm. And it's learning to s- almost speak different dialects of the same language. Mm-hmm. Because I will say something along the lines of, um, 
oh, we really need to engage the knowledge end user. Uh, to an administrator, you know, they are not really sure what that means. If I'm working with an ad agency, they're like, who is that? Is that our target population? And also, I could say, well, actually, the target population for this knowledge product could be a healthcare provider, but the knowledge end user who's going to receive that information is actually um, the patient. So mm-hmm. it's actually different, you know, with different terms. So it's a lot of um, learning, collaboration, forcing really clear communications. Mm. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, it is, it's, and it can be a very ex- expensive uh, process it, because mm-hmm. of time and resources. Uh, and it, it takes a while. Mm-hmm. And yeah. actually the one big thing I forgot to mention in all of this is that uh, KT is actually very much theory driven. So you need to have some sort of underlying philosophy as to why you're mm-hmm. making those choices. Right. It's not just, you know, willy nilly, we think just throwing work. Yeah, throwing things and hoping something yeah. sticks. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, so that's, that's common in afterthought KT, right? Like, okay, what I'm gonna do with my research is okay, I'm gonna create infography, okay, I'm yeah. gonna do this and that, right? Like, it's not like that it's integrated in the whole yeah. uh, research design process from the get go. Exactly. Actually, I can give you a really good example of that. Sure, so, go ahead. Yeah. Um, uh, exercises medicine in the US, they have a cancer specific branch. Mm-hmm. And so recent, and by recently in 2019, tail end of 2019, they had updated the physical activity guidelines for cancer survivors. And they got really um, uh, into the weeds, which I had appreciated, they created fit principles for various outcomes. So mm-hmm. um, if you are trying to, let's say, um, reduce um, anxiety, there's a specific fit principle of engaging in, you know, more aerobic versus resistance exercise um, in order to get to that outcome. And so everyone was very excited and they said, okay, we need to now create infographics. Cause that's always our first thought. It's like, let's create a dynamic infographic. I'm not sure why we all this. I don't know if there was like a, like a, a table kind of read and everyone said, this is what we need to do. But scientists, we always want to get there for some reason. And so they did, they created these infographics. Um, They didn't actually engage cancer survivors until the end. And they asked them for feedback Mm. and the infographics while pretty were way too much information. It was like a circle to represent the outcome and then circles underneath to represent the activity. So like dumbbells for resistance, a running shoe Mm. for aerobic and then like a yoga pose um, person, like stick figure for like stretching and flexibility. And then underneath the little circles, it was like tiny little fonts of here's what you need to do. Like here's the fit principle. And so it essentially took, you know, I think a table from the paper and just kind of Mm. moved it into like a fun presentation. And so of course the survivors were saying, I don't, know what this means like I have lymphedema so I should lift the dumbbell go for a run and then get into this weird airplane pose Uh, and how often do I have to do this airplane pose um and so that's and so it's since been rectified and they've brought in um more uh survivors to really offer that input earlier um partially uh so I don't sit on the exercises medicine board but one of my mentors does and I've been chatting with her kind of as like a sidebar. Um, and so on my recommendation, they had said, okay, we're actually gonna include more individuals because there's an issue here. Um, and what I'm hoping they'll do afterwards actually is translate it um, because we have a number of individuals 
especially in New Jersey, who are Spanish speaking. Um, we mm. have a lot of uh, Southeast Asians here as well. So translating into like Urdu and things like that um, also needs to happen. Uh, so that's kind of an example of we really needed um, a guiding framework or a theory to really mm. drive home the work mm-hmm. itself, but also our final product. Um, right. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, it's not, you know, developing KT with afterthought, it's really not a good idea. And actually, knowledge um, translation is becoming a field. It's one research field and it's mm-hmm. called implement- implementation science, right? Yep. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so there's a theory, there's a framework that we can follow. So before we do anything or plan KT, uh, we need to look at those, um, mm-hmm. you know, resources or talk to KT specialists like yourself mm-hmm. to to plan it really well from the get-go. For sure. And yeah. within um, implementation science as well, there's also specific approaches that yeah. are would differ, I think, from... Um, even like behavioral and epidemiological sciences, uh, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, we do process evaluations. So mm-hmm. literally from the start of your, uh, your research or intervention, you're actually tracking almost everything. Like we have these insane charts of, you know, what, what is said to a participant at what time and the outcome, you know, did they, did they do what we had asked them to, did they fill out the questionnaire? Yes. If not, why? And you're literally following your entire evaluation so that, you know, when you aren't getting the effect sizes that you were expecting, or there is no significant difference, you can actually go back to your process and see, oh, we clearly, we may have inundated participants with too many things, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, they don't need a log, uh, a health coach, um, a Fitbit and YouTube videos and whatever else in order to become more active. They really just need the health coach on the log. So kind of going back to your evidence and unpacking what had happened is um, a very common KT way of developing an intervention. And we have ways for also, you know, including collaborators and frameworks Mm. like that. And Mm -hmm. it's it's a lot. (laughs) It's a growing field. It's very exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The last assignment for students in this course is developing an infographic based on a um, on an epidemiological research paper. So that should be interesting. (laughs) Good luck. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So don't do a lot of circles um, with tiny little prints. Uh, I'm not going to tell them how to do it so that they are actually doing the work, but they're, if they Google um, infographics, they're going to find ones that really resonate with them and they'll understand why and ones that, that do not. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know it's difficult because you cannot put too much information, but you cannot mm-hmm. put too less information, like, right? It's, so it's hard. Yeah, it's a, it's a um, what does my primary mentor say? She says, it's a science and an art. When it comes mm-hmm. to these types of things, um, because mm-hmm. you don't want the main message to be lost, but you also don't want it to be so oversimplified that the individual doesn't feel the spur in order to contain, like, to engage in that behavior. Um, right. Yeah. If I could give another example. Um, yeah. It's so it's not really uh, an infographic. It was actually a blog post. Mm-hmm. which I think now is somewhat antiquated. But mm-hmm. uh, so researchers out in Dalhousie were trying to get more parents to vaccinate their children um, because, and this is, you know, before the pandemic, but, you know, childhood vaccination kind of varies. And at the time there was a lot of anti-vaxxers, you know, 
spilling out uh, a lot of misinformation. So they were trying to promote the, the health unit in, um, in Nova Scotia was trying to promote uh, increased childhood vaccinations, especially for infants. And so um, what the researchers did was they actually reached out to mommy bloggers um, who had mm. really good following and said, you know, can we work together to create messaging that is uh, that will be useful to the to the moms out there, or I should say parents in general, and inspire them to get their babies uh, to be vaccinated. And so the bloggers came back and said, yes, we can do that. Um, we can help you, but you need three messages. That was their whole caveat. They're like, if you can't get it across in three messages, simple messages, not crazy sentences or paragraphs, they're like, you will you'll lose your individual, like you'll lose your target audience here mm-hmm. um, or your, your knowledge end user. So uh, that was kind of the biggest thing from the Dalhousie group was they're like, we have paper, like stacks and stacks of papers where we know the benefits, we know the barriers. How do we then create that? So they actually created a series. It was an ongoing series of posts mm-hmm. um, that included, you know, understanding the uh, end users, understanding that their parents, and they may be new parents. They're not necessarily afraid of vaccinating their children, but it's the experience of vaccinating their children. Mm. It's actually really traumatizing to the parent to see that their child is screaming in pain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the and, the and the poor pediatrician is like, please just let me do this. Um, and then they kind of came up with, you know, so they understood, they came with the messaging, like, we understand your experience. These are the barriers that you're experiencing and they came up with points of action of like here are some things you can do so it was um I'm probably not remembering it all correctly but you know um don't be the one that's holding your child while they're getting vaccinated because they actually associate it with oh mom or dad is holding me down so this bad thing can happen you actually Mm -hmm. step away Mm -hmm. um so that they can see that oh it's this this person, this pediatrician, this scary mm-hmm. doctor that's doing it. And then you kind of come in to save the child. Um, mm-hmm. And then they recommended distractions like blowing bubbles, um, you know, uh, having like a light toy. So they had something to stare at so the doctor could prick them and they would be unaware of the whole situation. Mm-hmm. So like they came up with really usable um, strategies for the parents. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of a, a really good example of uh, a unique um, knowledge products, but also um, a way that you can engage. So they had to engage healthcare providers, the parents, um, and then obviously the the, the bloggers too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, really I, cool experience. Yeah, I think it's really smart to use um, or you know get connect with get connected with mommy bloggers because they know mm-hmm. the, their audience, right? Like they're they're the mommies, and yeah, they and know they their... have the reach, right? Yeah, like that was the whole yeah. thing too. Is a lot of times we talk about um, research and we're like, oh, we're not reaching the individuals. Um, mm-hmm. I joke that the average read for a research paper is seven. And one of them was my mom. And not a, joke. Me, not a joke, not a joke, not a joke. She did yeah. tell me this. Uh, she said it was boring and she was right. It was. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's the thing. It's like, OK, I reached my mother who was not the target, um, was not the end user. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, the only reason why she had it was because I gave it to her. Right. That's not a that's not good KT right there. I'm literally yeah. handing it to her. There's no action. She's the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, engaging people who've already engaged the people you're looking for, mm-hmm. that's, you know, capitalize on that strategy. Yeah. 
I have a hard time、uh, with my parents because my parents never know what I'm doing, even though I、yeah. tell them hundreds of times. <laughs> so maybe, <laughs> so maybe your mom listening to this interview may help her her to understand what you're really doing and how amazing you are at your work. <laughs> Thank you. Actually, so the way I got my parents to understand、um, my field and what I do is I made them listen to a version of my job talk. For my position here at Rutgers,、oh, nice. um, because I knew if I could get them engaged, like I knew if they had paid、mm. attention to me for the full like forty minutes or however long it was, yeah, that that was a good sign. And then I also knew if they understood、uh, what I was saying, then that was、um, that also was a good sign. Yeah,、and、nice. It was great. Yeah, my mom yeah. came back and said, "I didn't know there was a difference between exercise and physical activity, and that not all exercise is physical activity, and or sorry, not all physical activity is exercise." And it was awesome. And then my dad said, "I didn't realize that you had colleagues all over the country, and you know, I recently had、uh, Canadian colleagues move to the U.S." And he goes, "You know, people in California." And I was like, "If that's all you took from my talk, is the extent of my network? That's good because I need to convince them that." Yeah. I have a network. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just whatever is impressive. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah> . Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. So you know, this discussion is, I think, really rich, and and I really appreciate you know the knowledge that you're sharing right now. So now I want to get into um your KT Canada seminar talk. So can you、yeah. give us what that was about and and you know just an overview? It'll be great. Yeah. Of course.、Um, so, all for those of you who aren't familiar with、uh, KT Canada, it's kind of it's exactly what it is. It's this、uh, overall kind of collaborative network of Canadian researchers and institutions who work who essentially do KT in some form, but it is mostly mostly directed at、um, health related behaviors and outcomes.、Um, there are individuals from everywhere, from like、uh, like health services, so improving. Um, the quality of care and quality assessment. There's health behavior, so essentially what I do: incre- increasing physical activity, increasing vaccinations, healthy eating behaviors,、um, all of that、uh, knowledge. And then there's individuals who specifically focus on moving the field of KT forward. So kind of like the the founders of the field in, in a way,、um, who are essentially developing new approaches and frameworks. Or refining even current frameworks to make them better, so that we can more people can adapt them into their research.、Mm-hmm. So that's broadly speaking what KT Canada is. And then every month they have been doing webinars, and this was before all of the whole pandemic、uh, situation, because again everyone is located across the country,、um, and there's a few of us here down south.、Um, so because of that, they were like, well, let's have this one time. And do a webinar, so they've been doing that for a while,、uh, mm-hmm. and they invite all sorts of speakers、um, at all sorts of levels, which was amazing.、Um, so I was invited、uh, actually during my postdoc,、um, and I had said, "Could we push it until、um, I was in my position?" Because it was it was just too much of a transition time for me.、Mm-hmm. But essentially, the the talk itself was my postdoctoral project.、Um, so I spoke about. My experience developing、um, a knowledge translation tool. So the tool itself is an in-clinic guide which helps、um, oncology care providers discuss physical activity with、uh, their patients, and it helps them assess 
the patient's readiness for physical activity and then gives them a resource that is appropriate for their current level. Um, and I essentially broke down, um, I, I simply broke down uh, how we did that as a team um, and just the things that I had learned from that experience. Um, and it was a yeah, 40 minute talk, lots of graphics. The, the one caveat was that, you know, it wasn't working on my end. So the <laughs> moderator was moving my slides. So in the presentation you hear, okay, next Megan, because Megan was the one advancing my slides. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's about that project. And it was, you know, it kind of had a lot of elements of knowledge translation. So I engaged the end users. So I was able to get um, breast cancer survivors who lived in Kingston and were treated in Kingston to be part of um, kind of our, our stakeholder group. I engaged clinicians. Uh, so there was like a radiation oncologist, medical oncologist, um, primary care, uh, a, a GP who specialized in oncology. They were all involved. Um, unfortunately, we could not get administrative um, individuals from the hospital on board. But uh, for anyone who's ever worked in a hospital, I, I think you all know it's it's extremely difficult. So we weren't going to mm-hmm. bat ourselves there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously included researchers to kind of develop the tool. Um, I will speak to that. It's it's I you need to find an ideal size for your group. It can't be too big and it can't be too small. And then you have mm-hmm. to balance out the power of the group um, mm-hmm. because survivors, be, you know, may not have the extensive education, so they don't feel as that their opinion maybe is as valid as say, oh, the medical oncologist who's gone to med school and has X amount of years of experience. Mm-hmm. But you know, just reassuring everyone that their voices are equal mm-hmm. and important. Um, is kind of key. And then I essentially walked through the framework that we had used, um, which was the knowledge to action framework. Uh, So the biggest piece there was, again, we have someone else had done the knowledge synthesis for me, so that I didn't have to do that. But it was, Mm -hmm. you know, what are the the things that need to be assessed by the clinician or oncology care provider? And then what are the resources? So, Mm -hmm. you know, working with Dr. Thomason's team, um, her grad students and getting that list of resources developed. And then, you know, what were the things that we needed to look at? They decided comorbidities were really important for the effects of um, treatment and then physical activity capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so what individuals were reporting that they could do so that you could um, further uh, develop or not develop, select a resource that would be um, appropriate for the survivor or the Mm -hmm. patient. Um, And then, you know, including what we would call like redundancies or fail safes so that the clinician felt um, safe to actually say, okay, I recommend that you go to Breast Cancer Action Kingston and do this program. Mm -hmm. Um, So we put in, you know, uh, absolute contraindications to physical activity borrowed from the Parmed X um, so that if anyone showed or presented with any of these characteristics, we would say, you know what, we can't do exercise with this person. Mm-hmm. Um, individuals who are, let's say, had really high, like really difficult comorbidities, like, um, you know, cardiovascular disease that's uh, um, not controlled. So, you know, the medication isn't there and things like that, but also had low capacity for physical activity. So walking around the block is too much for them. You know, we had resources like hospital-based rehabilitation that would be appropriate for these individuals because they're supervised, it's one-on-one. And so, you know, developing that list and um, following that process was kind of what we did. And then we followed what's called the agreed to. So it's this 
guideline yeah. essentially to develop guidelines mm-hmm. um, and we followed that even though this wasn't a clinical practice guideline just to show how rigorous um, our process was and that's the other thing about KT is that um, you really need to show your receipts you need to say you know we either followed this framework or this already established um, guideline uh, development process and show at every point that you've met certain criteria um, mm-hmm. And yeah, hopefully that paper will be out soon. I'm, I'm hoping to provide it to your class yeah. uh, really soon. Yeah. 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 So, well, this is scheduled to be published at the end of March. So hopefully we'll have enough time and I'll post as soon as it's available. I'll post the webinar uh, with, mm-hmm. with your interview so that students can see. And it look, it sounds like they can really see the entire process of how KT um, plays a role in the research Um in the research project that you're mm-hmm. running yeah 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 I think yeah. The, the KT Canada talk I think really distills what I had done mm-hmm. um I like to think that it's more it's approachable there's not a lot of jargon in it um, mm-hmm. so I hope I hope they find it useful yeah nice nice yeah I'm sure after this interview I'm sure lots of students are will be interested in you know KT and for assignment number 10 uh it'll be helpful for them so hopefully that will be available um <laughs> before the end of March. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, it's been great. I think you brought a lot of important knowledge to the interview today. And yeah, I really appreciate you coming in. Uh, before we finish, do you have anything to say to our students? Any inspiring messages as a, <laughs> as a new rising star in KT? <laughs> oh my goodness, you are giving me way too much credit. Thank you. Um, I think with um KT specifically you know don't write it off as something as I just need to use layman's terms to describe the research it is it can be quite involved um but don't let that intimidate you it is a really rewarding process if you bring on the right individuals and then just kind of a side note um you had said oh you know the, the pathway for me to get here has been meandering yes it has been meandering and I think that's really commonplace even for individuals outside of academia so don't worry about your your route that's not perfectly straight and exactly where you thought it was going to go because you'll end up somewhere that's way cooler than where you thought you were going (laughs) nice yeah and you know undergraduate students who are involved in research they uh, you know sometimes comment on the impact of research and they say, you know, like, I really want to do something that has impact to the society. And maybe Katie is the, you know, right step to get into um, mm-hmm. if you're, if they are really interested in making an immediate impact or a direct impact from, from research. Oh, I definitely think you can. Uh, Katie may not. So just because you create a knowledge product doesn't mean, you know, it'll automatically mm-hmm. be approved by the, the end user and that it'll, you know, have um, impact. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it really does lend itself to having a greater impact. But mm-hmm. that is not to denounce other forms of science. Like we can't have KT without epidemiology, mm-hmm. without, you know, behavioral science, because we need that foundation. We need mm-hmm. that messaging to be clear and consistent before we can say, okay, here's what we need people to do. And I think, um, you know, mask wearing during this time has been a prime example of that as well as um, vaccines have been an example of almost what not to do when it comes to KT. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah so in essence 
Katie is a masterpiece of, <laughs> of our research work. It's, it's, a, it's a very important tool of our, in our toolbox. And mm -hmm. I think it's one that everyone should access no matter what field that they're in. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming in, Dr. Fong. Um, and yeah, thanks for sharing your knowledge. Of course. Um, thank you so much for having me. And I really hope that your students um, gain something useful from our discussion. For sure. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt. <laughs> okay. okay. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Bye.